0: You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. So we're excited about this Now I want to start with something just I want to get you to thinking. Are you ready? Uh, a 10:45 crowd. you guys awake? Here we go. All right. So Dylan's got a, micro- uh, a mic. I want you to stand up, Dylan. And let's hand that first to Craig. Craig's right to your left, so Dylan's going to be my, my little errand boy here. Craig, how long have you been attending Gospel Light, and what did you do this weekend? I have been attending Gospel Light for eight months now, and this weekend we had a, at Madhouse, our youth group, we had a, we called it Midnight Madness. So we were up till two o'clock in the morning with teenagers. <laughs> Which was absolutely insane, but <laughs> awesome. We had a great time. That's what I did this weekend. And then Saturday, slept a lot. So <laughs> Okay. And a little bit of worship. So there we go. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Thanks, Dylan. I want you to hand that now to Butch back in the back. Butch, how long have you been going to Gospel Light? And Butch, what did you do this weekend? Well, our, this is our second stint at Gospel Light. Right. We were here in the beginning for 10 years. Now we've been back for 10 years, so it's been great. Awesome. And this weekend, I slept in, and I didn't go to the uh, Teen activity. <laughs> and I watched the Arkansas Razorbacks Bracks break their 20-game losing Whoa! streak. Whoa! been a great weekend. <laughs> I love it. Somehow, I kind of knew. Butch watched that game last night. I kind of knew that. All right, walk across Dylan all the way. Jake? All right, Jake, how long have you been visiting Gospelite, and what did you do this weekend? Dylan, right there. What did you do this weekend, too? I'm, we've been coming about four months now, four and months? we watched the Razorback game also. <laughs> did you do anything else? Rest. Rest. <laughs> Rest, all right. I love it. All right, up this aisle here. Dave Wilkie, how long have you been going to Gospelite? And Dave, what did you do this weekend? We've been going to Gospelite for 21 years. 21. Uh, love our church. Wow. And we worked at the house and spent some time with the Kemp's celebrating Claudia's birthday. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks, Dylan. And five you did a more g- prime. Yeah. With that And what? And five more prime. Oh, went to a nice dinner. It took your wife on a date. Okay, so the marriage retreat is working. Good, okay, I like it, I like it. You know, I've been thinking a lot about what we do with our time. And everything that was just mentioned were really good things. I mean, really, really good things. And some of those things you mentioned, I did too. I watched the Razorback game and spent some time mowing the lawn at the church this weekend. We did some good things. We do a lot of good things, but I wonder <clears throat> if if we could do great things. Great things. You know, someone has said that the main thing is that the main thing remains the main thing, right? And I like that. It's kind of a cliche that I've used and we've used. We've heard it in the corporate world. But I think I can say with even greater confidence and on the authority of the Word of God that the greatest thing is that the greatest thing remains the greatest thing. And that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. So would you turn with me to Mark chapter 12 in your Bibles as we continue to journey towards the likeness of Christ. We're in this great series in this Gospel of Mark and it's been amazing. And here we're gonna highlight Mark chapter 12 just for a moment Christ is in the last week of his life here on earth. In other words, in less than a week, in Mark 12, just to put you right in the center of the story, in less than a week, Jesus is going to be crucified. In less than a week here in this text, Jesus will die on the cross for the sins of mankind. He will have his final encounters here on earth as a... God, man, as the, as, as the son of God, he will, of the son of man, if you will, he will have his last few encounters beginning here in Mark chapter number 12. We see in this chapter seven specific encounters of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And the first one we read about is the parable of the vineyard owner. It's a great parable. It's uh, the vineyard owner leaves town. He goes far away. He is sending people back to check on the vineyard and finally he sends his son back. And basically the whole parable is a picture of the coming of Jesus Christ and the brutal response of the people who were unwilling to receive him. And as a result of that, Jesus then went on to say in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse number 10, have you not read this scripture? The stone which the builders rejected, that's Christ, that's Jesus. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people. For they perceived that he had told the parable against them, so they left him and went away. And then they started to ask Christ questions. They first asked him questions about taxes. And then they asked him questions about the resurrection because the Sadducees did not believe in a resurrection and they were trying to trap Jesus with these questions. And then in Mark chapter 12 and verse 28, a scribe steps forward. And the scribe says, in essence, possibly, he says, you know what, we're asking Christ a lot of questions and he's giving us some pretty decent answers, but man, why don't we ask him a question that really matters? Why don't we ask him a question that has some substance? And so the scribe says in verse 28 of chapter 12, one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing. He hears them arguing. Who was arguing? Well, the Herodians were there and the Pharisees were there and the Sadducees were there and the scribes were there and they were all arguing. They didn't agree on everything. They didn't agree on much. And they were arguing with one another and seeing that he answered them well, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? What is the greatest commandment? And the reason why he wanted to know what was the greatest commandment was that this was one of the things that they would hotly debate amongst their religious sects. It's a big debate over what was the greatest commandments because there were so many. You see, they had made the word of God very complicated. They had, they had made the word of God like a puzzle. And you had to really work hard at trying to figure all of this stuff out. Going back to these Pharisees who had gone all the way back to uh, Exodus chapter number 20 and, and found that there were the 613 Hebrew letters. And so they decided they would make a commandment or a law for every single letter. And so there was 245 positive commands, there were 368 negative commands. And so here's what this scribe was asking. Which of these 613 commands is the greatest? Well, some said that the Sabbath commands would be the greatest. Some said that the sacrifice commands would be the greatest. Others said, well, the greatest would be the ones that have the most heavy punishment on them. Those would be the greatest. And then Jesus steps up and he says, he he says what Deuteronomy says. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, he basically quotes the Bible. And he says that, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The answer was right in the Bible. And I want to just stop here and say this about most of the questions that we have. The answer is right in the Bible. Amen. And so Jesus basically tells them this is the greatest thing. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In Mark chapter 12 verse 20, with all your strength. Let me begin with this statement in your notes. That no matter what you get done in a day or a week or a month, if you don't get loving God done, then you're not getting the greatest thing done. And so with that as a foundation, I want us to consider some things here, questions to consider in this message this morning. And the very first question is this, as we jump into the sermon, why is, why is loving God the greatest commandment? Well, I have three reasons why it's the greatest commandment. Reason number one is because he is most worthy. Can I get an amen right there? He is most worthy. And so he is most worthy of our love. Listen, we all have the capacity to give love and to receive love. Every one of us in this room has been given that capacity. There's not one single person sitting in this auditorium that doesn't have a capacity to love, a capacity to receive it, a capacity to give it. And every day you spend that capacity on something. I love my wife. Amen. And, and I spend that capacity, some of my capacity to love on her. I love my family, and that's great. Now I love my job. And there's nothing wrong with that. I spent some of my capacity on shopping. A little questionable as to whether or not that's really (laughs) a good thing, but I love my hobbies. But listen, the question is, do you, do I love God with all my heart, with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength? And if not, I have spent the capacity of my love on trivial things in comparison to loving God, because loving God is the greatest thing. Man, listen, God is most worthy of our love. He is unparalleled. He is unprecedented. I love the way the psalmist says over and over again in the psalms. We'll just give you a couple here. The psalmist says in Psalm 113 verse 5, Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? No one is like Him. In Psalm 86 and verse 8, There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. There is none like you, O God. No one. So let's practice a little bit. Let's see what a 1045 thinks about this great God. Answer this question. Here it is. Exodus fifteen eleven. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Who is like you, O God? No one, nice, okay, got about a third of the crowd. So you got the answer, right? No one. We got a better chance to participate now. Here we go. Psalm 35, verse 10. All my bones shall say, "Oh Lord, who is like you? Delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him. The poor and the needy from him who robs him. Who is like you, O Lord? No one. No one. Two more chances. Come on now. Oh, your righteousness, O God. Psalm 71:19. Reaches the high heavens, you who have done great things. O God, who is like you? Oh, one, one more time. Oh, listen, if you've not had any reason yet to say those words and to express your love and just in a, in, a, in a little bit of volume, would you join all of us today in this last one, Psalm 89, verse 8. Oh, Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, oh, Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Who is like you, oh, God? Oh, oh, I love it. I love it. We give too much of our love to trivial things. Who is like you, oh, God? There is no one like you. We're to love God with our whole heart. Number one, because God is most worthy. Number two, because God, loving God, brings the most benefits. It brings the most benefits. Now, when I say that, I know that potentially some of us could... Kind of feel guilty about that. Well, wait a minute, preacher. Do I really want to benefit? I mean, I think that's kind of a selfish thing, to benefit from loving God. Shouldn't it be the other way around? Doesn't God benefit? Well, yes, but it is a great benefit to love God with your whole heart. First John four nineteen says this, we love because he first loved us. So think with me for just a moment that the God of the universe loves every single person in this room. How awesome is that? So Someone may say, and I've had it said to me before, well, preacher, it's hard for me to, to really believe that because I've done this and I've done that. I've done things that are wrong. I've let him down. I've made mistakes. I've done some awful things. You have no idea. I just don't see how God could love me even that much. And what's amazing about God is independent of your behavior. Somehow, God supernaturally has set his love upon you. His gaze has never left you His eyes are always on you, and he loves you. And this is not selfish to benefit from loving God. You know, I don't do a lot of quotes in my messages, but I tell you lately I've been reading more. And this is a great quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Weight of Glory. If you don't want to read the whole book, just do this Google great quotes from The Weight of Glory. And it'll take you about 20 minutes to read some of the most amazing statements that he made in that book. Here's one. He says, if we consider the staggering nature of the rewards provided in the Gospels, it would seem that God finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures following about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, Because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Wow. John Piper in his book, God's Passion for His Glory, said the pursuit of our soul's satisfaction. Our joy and delight and happiness is not sin. Sin is the exact opposite. Pursuing happiness where no lasting happiness can be found. Jeremiah 2.13 says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Sin is trying to quench our unquenchable soul thirst anywhere but in God. Or more suddenly, sin is pursuing satisfaction in the right direction, but with lukewarm, half-hearted affections. Because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. We benefit from loving God, from being satisfied in his love. And so we love God because he is most worthy, because it brings to us the most benefit. And I'm grateful today for all of his amazing benefits that he's given me because of his love for me and my love for him. Thirdly, why is loving God the greatest commandment? Because it is the most difficult. It really is. I mean, loving what you see and loving what you touch is far easier than loving the one for whom we love by faith. By faith. You know, there's a balance here. And it's difficult. I mean, it's difficult to find a balance in church. Sometimes we see churches that have such an emphasis on delighting in God but not much emphasis on knowing God and the truth. And preaching with depth and, and passion. That's why I, I honestly, I think one of the saddest edicts upon a church can be multiple people falling asleep in church. We stay awake for the worship because the band's loud and we enjoy the band and we enjoy that. And, and then we just sort of find the message a way to take a little nap. The truth of the matter is, is Jesus says that we should worship him in spirit and in truth. We need the spirit, we need the passion, we need the emotion. Yes, but we also need to know God. There's a balance in all of this, to love Him. Spirit and truth is what we need today for a church to be alive and well. And so we love God. And it's difficult sometimes. But how do we love Him? Why is it the greatest commandment? Well, I gave you those three reasons, but now let's talk about some practical ways to love God and and how can we love God? Well, Mark chapter 12 and verse 30 tells us those ways. Jesus spells it out for us really easily. He says, and you shall, here's how you love the Lord of your God. Here's how you do it. Number one, do it with all your heart, do it with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, I've added one. I've, I've put in the, the yellow is the is the obvious ways that we can love God, right? But I've added one. And it's there in the text, but it's not as easy to see it. So I'll save that one for last. So let me give you quickly here five categories that cover all the bases in loving God. Number one, love the Lord your God with all your heart. It's the first one. It's the, Jesus is speaking here, the heart. The heart is the center of your being. It is the core of who you are a Proverbs chapter 4 speaks about the heart in verse number 23 where it says to keep your heart, your translation may say to guard your heart and so other passages in the word of God tell us to guard our hearts, why? because the hearts are very important, your heart is a very important part of who you are, keep it with all vigilance, for out of it flows or or for out of it uh, flows the springs of life, guard your heart, keep your heart because it is the very center of who you are. Bill Bright used to say that, uh, that, that, that a heart is like a throne. And whoever sits on that throne is who is ruling your life. Is self on the throne or is God on the throne? If our hearts are truly a place where God rules, then who is on the throne? You or God. So to love God with your whole heart is to, lo- to allow God to be there seated as the ruler Of your life. That's what it means to love God with all your heart. He's first. He sits on the throne of your life. And then Jesus goes on to say the second way to love me is to love me with all of your soul. Now, the closest English term to this concept of soul is the word emotions. In fact, Jesus, when he was in the garden the night that he was arrested, said in Matthew 26 and verse 38, my soul is very sorrowful, my soul is. My soul is sorrowful even unto death. Jesus describes the soul as a place where he felt great emotion. The psalmist says in Psalm chapter 103 and verse number one, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. It's as if he is speaking to himself and he's saying to his soul, Hey soul, bless the Lord. Let's get with it, soul. Come on now, feel something. Feel some emotion on this thing. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. And forget not all his benefits. Don't forget now, soul, remember the benefits that God has blessed you with. And bless the Lord. Feel something about God. Love Him with your soul. The psalmist seems to be pleading with himself that he wouldn't simply know things about God, but that he would be moved with emotion and passion about the things that he does know about God. Again, we know so much about God, but we don't let that move us to feel anything or to do anything about what we know. And that's inconsistent with loving God. We must love Him with our hearts, we must love Him with our souls. And that's what it means to love God with your soul, it means to feel something about God. And if we never have any feelings about God, if we never have any tears of joy over His goodness, no earnest passion for His will in the dark world that we live in, no sadness over our own sins and failures, no delight in His Word. If we never have any feelings about God, then we are not loving God with with all our soul. And then he says, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Your mind. And I wrote next to that word with intellectual vigor. To love him with all of your mind is to love him with some intellectual vigor. Jonathan Edwards was a great theologian from many years ago, centuries, maybe the greatest theologian to ever be born in, in our country. And Jonathan Edwards said, the more you have a rational knowledge of God, the more opportunity, because you have a rational knowledge of God, you will have more opportunity when the Spirit is breathed into your heart to see the excellencies and to savor the goodness Of God. You have to have more knowledge of God to do that. To savor the excellencies and the goodness of God, you need a more rational knowledge of God. And so I love the fact that theology has been given a bigger platform here at Gospel Light. I love that. I love the fact that as our church has aged, as we've grown in Maturity, as we have seen God bring to us men and women. But but specifically, I'm speaking about those who speak and teach us the word of God. Those men have been given a passion for theology. And lest we criticize that word and we can at times seem to kind of push it away as in, oh, there's that word again, theology. Let's not forget what it means. Theology means the study of God. The study of God. Two Wednesdays ago in chapel, Elson Portugal received his Ph.D. He walked across this platform with all kinds of regalia. And it's a ceremony that is one to behold. I mean, trust me, it's pretty amazing. And it's, 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 I tell you, it was impressive. Hundreds and thousands of hours of study and investment in classes and even finances so that Elson could achieve this. And I'm bragging on him because I love him and I'm proud of him. But you know what I really believe? I know his humility. I know it wasn't about some piece of paper or even about the regalia or even about the presentation as much as it was about his hunger and thirst for more knowledge of God. excited about the fact that whenever we have someone now who steps into our pulpit, it, 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 it doesn't have to be the pastor, the lead pastor. It could be another pastor, another elder. And they step up here and oftentimes I hear, man, I really enjoyed the depth of that message because yes, we need to feel God, but yes, we need to know more about God. You say, well, what do I need to do, preacher? You need to read more. That's a good thing to read more and to study more. And a good place to start would be With David Wells in his book, No Place for Truth, what what ever happened to evangelical theology? And I want to read you, this is very worthy and it's somewhat, you know, full of information, but could you stay with me for just a moment because it'll get more clear as we get to the end of the quote. The disappearance of theology from the life of the church and the orchestration of that disappearance, we're talking about loving God with all of our minds by some of its leaders is hard to miss today but oddly enough not easy to prove it is hard to miss in the evangelical world in the vacuous worship that is so prevalent for example in the shift from God to the self as the central focus of faith in the psychologized preaching that flows that follows this shift in the erosion of its conviction in its strident pragmatism in its inability to think incisively about the culture in its reveling in the irrational in fact When we listen to the church today, at least in the West, we are often left with the impression that Christianity actually has very little to do with truth. Christianity is only about feeling better about ourselves, about leaping over our difficulties, about being more satisfied, about having better relationships, about getting along with our mother-in-law, about understanding teenage rebellion, about coping with our unreasonable bosses, about finding greater sexual satisfaction, about getting rich, about receiving our own private miracles, and much else besides. It is about everything except truth. And yet this truth, personally embodied in Christ, gives us a place to stand in order to deal with the complexities of life, such as the list we read a moment ago. Theology. It's the study of God. It's loving God with vigorous intellect. It is desiring not just to feel good about God, but to know him. Tuesday night, Tuesday night, 40 men will meet in this auditorium and we will officially enter into a discipleship program at Gospel Light where we get to know God. You see, you can't know God like you need to know him in a one hour and 15 minutes a week at church. That's why we do small groups and that's why we offer... Uh, opportunities to, to study God's Word in other venues. And by the way, Champion Christian College has, is going to be online. We'll have four classes in the spring, and then we'll, have, we'll be fully online in the fall. What a way to take a class online. You say, well, I've no desire to get a degree. Well, don't worry about a degree. Just take a class to learn more about God. And just say, you yeah, know, I'm going to look at one of those theology classes. Yeah, well, what if I don't do well? You're not taking it to pass. You're taking it to learn. Learn more about God. We need to think great thoughts about God. Amen. Great thoughts. You know what I wonder? I wonder if, because we're not thinking great thoughts about God, we don't know how to think great thoughts about it. I wonder if these feel-good decisions we make in moments where we just felt it and so we made this decision, it didn't last because we didn't have the theology to sustain it. We didn't know enough about the goodness of God for for that moment, that feel-good decision. And I'm all for making decisions. And I make a lot of decisions in a moment where I I feel affected by a message or a song. But I'm going to tell you, that's not going to sustain me. I need to know about God. So we need to constantly nurture our minds with theology. And that's the purpose of theology. It is to nurture your love for God. So how do we love God? In our hearts, we love God with our soul, with our mind. Number four, we love God with our strength, all of our strength. Love the Lord your God with all your strength. Now the picture here is a fresh capacity to vigorously pursue Christ. It's fresh. What does scripture say? His mercies are new every morning, every morning. Oh, listen, some mornings I wake up, I'll be honest with you, and I wake up, and here's how I feel about the previous day. I need two days of sleep to get over that. (laughs) Whew, that was a full day, busy day, heavy day. I'm out of breath, I'm out of strength. But His mercies are new every morning, every morning. And so I'm able to throw my legs off the side of that bed, and my feet hit the floor, and I'm able to say, God, I love you, and I'm going to love you with all my strength today. I know the source of my strength is you. And though I don't know how I'm going to make it today, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And God, I'm going to choose to use the capacity of strength you've given me today. Loving you. At least some of it. I use some of the strength that God's given me to love my wife. I mean, we get you know, I've talked, uh, of course, two weeks ago, two weekends ago, I used quite a bit of my, my, my time and my strength to pour into my marriage. But now we're back to the rigorous routines of life. And so we, we try to make a commitment to spend 15 minutes of uninterrupted time together every day. And you say, well, just 15 minutes? Well, I'm going to tell you something. When you've got a special needs child and five grandkids and a 12 to 14 hour a day job and, and, and you've got a lot going on, it 15 minutes of uninterrupted time seems to make my wife and I's marriage flourish. When we don't get that, we're not doing so well. So I have to use some of my strength, yes, on my precious wife and family. But I think spending time with God in the morning is important. I do. I think it's worth your consideration to spend some time in your day when you are fresh. And you say, well, I'm not a morning person. You're probably like me. You're not a morning person when you first get up. But get a cup of coffee. Wash your face. Come on, admit, your day gets better within a few minutes. All of us struggle getting out of bed, probably. I don't just wake up and say, oh, it's another day! Praise God! I'm like, oh, the alarm went off real early this morning. And then I think, it's Sunday. Yes, McDonald's coffee is on the way. And then I meet God in the morning. I memorized a poem when I was 16 years old. I memorized this when I was 16. I've never forgot it word for word. I met God in the morning when the day was at its best. And his presence felt like glory, like a sunrise in my breast. And all day long, his presence lingered. And all day long, he stayed with me. And we sailed through troubled darkness or a very troubled sea. And other ships were torn and battered. And other ships were sore distressed. But the wind... That seemed to drive them. Brought to me a peace and rest, and then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mind when I too had loosed the moorings with His presence left behind. But I think I found the answer learned from many a troubled way. If you'll seek God in the morning, you can have Him all the day. Seeking God in the morning, spending time with God, a few minutes every morning in prayer and Bible study is a way that you can love God with all your And then finally, number five, love the Lord your God with abandon. With abandon. Well, that word abandon is not in the verse, or is it? Look again with me at the verse on the screen. Notice the words that are highlighted. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. But we often quote the verse by simply saying, with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But it doesn't say that. Before each and every one of these ways that we can love God, it says that we should love Him with all. All, with everything, with abandon, if you will. Loving with all of your heart. There's an exclamation point that should be after each one of these in our minds. All of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength. That doesn't mean that God is all I ever think about because that's not true. I, I think about other things other than God. It doesn't mean that God is all that I seek or feel. It doesn't mean that God is all that I ever do. But what it does mean is when i'm focused on god he has all that i have he's got me when i'm focused on him and if you want to measure my passion meter what what is erica what 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 does what rings the bell with capacity what is it that when you think about this when you talk about this subject this sets him off more than anything else if there's such a thing as a passion meter if you're talking about God, that rings the bell with me more than anything else. I may be fired up about my work, and I am, and I'm fired up about my job, and I'm fired up about my wife, and I'm fired up about my family, and I'm fired up about my hobbies. But when God is the subject, and my, my greatest passion, my greatest fervency, and my greatest effort should go into loving God. Remember when I when I when my wife and I were had been dating for about a year, and, and there was this moment. When we had this conversation, it was distinctly etched in both of our hearts around that lake as we sat at a park branch at the college we attended. And I was falling for her, but I'd always had this conversation with every girl that I had dated and it always kind of went south after this conversation. So I wasn't confident that it was gonna go any better, but I thought, well, I'll have it. So we did. And I said, now, Carol Ann, I said, I just want you to know that I really like you a lot. And you're very special to me. But I need you to know something before we go any further. I said, I just need you to know that I really love God. I really want to serve God. I have got some, I've just got some visions and some dreams about, you know, What? and, and she stopped me. She goes, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Are you insinuating with this conversation? Where's this going? I go, what do you mean? She goes, are you insinuating that, that, that I'm going to love you more than God? Because let's just get this straight, buddy. You'll never be first in my life. God will always be first. And when she said that, I thought, ding, ding, ding. This is not the conversation I've had with every other girl I've dated. And I knew at that moment, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize relationships. I'm just trying to say, I fell in love with her beauty. I fell in love with her personality. I fell in love with so many things about her, but nothing like falling in love with her love for God. What you should fall in love with, men, is the love that that girl has for God. And that's what you should fall in love with, ladies, is the love that he has for God. And here we are today, married 32 years, and I'm still second. And so is she. And you know, sometimes when you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, you know, sometimes it almost seems like you don't actually like people. Sometimes the Bible describes it as... Sometimes it feels like hate. Sometimes people interpret, don't you even care about me? And it's not that you don't care. It's just that you love God so much that sometimes it can appear that other things don't matter. It's not what you mean. But we should love God that much. You know, when it's all said and done, and my life is over, honestly, you know what I would rather someone say about me than anything else? Is the dude loved God. He loved his family. He loved his church. Hopefully you'll say, you know, he loved me. But he loved God. That's what it's all about. That's the greatest commandment. To love God. Now question number three as we close, why is loving others also the greatest commandment? I mean the litmus test for loving God is loving others. We talked about the litmus test last week, right? So this litmus test now is is coming up again here. How do we know that we love God? Why is loving others also the greatest commandment? Well, Mark chapter 12 and verse 30 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The book of 1 John is very clear. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 20, where Scripture says, if anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. In 1 John 4, 11, Scripture says, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Another. There was an emphasis placed on that in our worship time as we read Scripture together just a few moments ago. So if you say that you love God and you're not loving in your conduct towards others, you're lying to yourself. You don't love God. Now, you're not lying if you disagree with someone. That's okay. You're not lying if, if you have a different passion than someone else. That's okay. But you are lying to yourself if you say you love God, but you don't love others. So how do you get started in loving God after you know Him? Because you do know, and, and it was spoken about in testimony during the worship time, you do know that you You can't love others until you have received God's love. Amen. For as many as have received him, to them gave he what? Power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. So when you believe on the name of Jesus Christ, when you accept his love that flows from Calvary, when you say yes to Jesus and I accept the love of your sacrifice that you did for me on the cross and you become born again and you trust Christ as your savior and receive that love, Now it's time for you to begin, now that you know God, now that you know Him, if you don't know Him, what a day this would be to come to know Christ. What an opportunity today to receive His love today. You've heard it sung and preached and read from Scripture. Today is the day of salvation for you. But if you've been saved and you know God, then how do you get started with loving Him? Well, a good first step is obedience. John chapter 14, verse 21 says this, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one that loves me. Jesus' point was simply this, if you love me and you want, then you want to obey me. You're going to do what I say. In fact, he went on to say in Luke six forty six, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I tell you? Christ feels Really loved by us when we do what he tells us to do. I can almost see if he had the platform this morning that he would stand and say, you want to know when I really feel loved by you guys? I really feel loved when you do what I tell you to do. Wow. Obedience is a good first step in loving God. And there's ways that we can do that. Let me, let me just give you some practical ways here in 10 ways to help in loving God. These are very practical, but I think they are what we need sometimes as we think about applying the message. Sometimes we're left with a lot of knowledge, but now we need a way to put some action to that knowledge. Amen? So number one, how many of you were given a sticker or two or three when you walked in and you've got that sticker with you? Raise your hand. You got that with you. Anybody got that? Go ahead and lift it up if you got it. Okay, if you didn't get it, it's no problem. We're not going to pass them out in the service. We're going to have you to go to the tables. But I want everybody to go home with one because this is a little uh, practical way. I bought these stickers for the church. And I want you to take some of these home. And I want to tell you, you're going to laugh at me, but it's my first way that you can love God more. And it's number one, set up reminders about loving God. You say, Preacher, this is silly. Set up reminders about loving God with a sticker that says, Love God, love others. I have one on my phone right here. I put it right there. Love God, love others. I have one on the back of, on the front of my Bible. Love God, love others. When I walked out of my office today, I was a little uh, on the doorpost. I had love God, love others. So when I walked out of my office today, I saw that. And I spent about 10 seconds walking down the hallway at Champion on the way out across the street. And just saying, God, I love you. I just want to tell you, I love you. You're awesome. Thanks for being so sweet to me, so loving to me. I don't deserve it. But man, I tell you, I feel... Just cuddly with you right now, God. You're so precious to me. I just loved on him a little bit. You say, what's this got to do with anything? Well, let's, let's try some scripture. How about Deuteronomy chapter 6 again? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. For all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Loving God, loving others. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I want you to teach this to your kids, to love God. You shall talk of it when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. You'll bind them upon the side of your hand and you'll keep them on the frontlets of your eyes. I'm not suggesting that anybody puts the sticker on their forehead and walks around like this. But maybe I'm suggesting that you write them on the doorpost of your house. It's a sticker. Okay, it's corny. Or it's cool. I think it's cool. I think everybody could take two, three, four of these, get some more on your way out, and say, you know what? I'm going to set up a reminder this week for me to love God and to love others. Number two, silence. Another way you can love God is just sit in silence before him. It's called meditation, meditating upon the Lord. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. To behold God is to sit quietly before the Lord and just in a moment of silence. For me this morning, that was, and every morning is, for me, for me, it's it's driving around the church early in the morning and just praying in silence. I can hear the engine, so it's not complete silence. But there's just something about eliminating all distractions, being up early in the morning, sit quietly before God, and just love Him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Number three, set aside an extended time to meet with the Lord, to spend time with Him. Nothing is going to get in the way of that time. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have a schedule? And, and, and you live by that schedule. I do. I live by my schedule. Somebody walked out of the church building today and said, "Preach, I need to see you this week. And I got my phone out, looked at my schedule, and we worked it out before we left. And I'm going to live by that. I will not miss that time. I mean, it's in my, all my schedule. In fact, oftentimes when I put it on there, this is, you've probably heard me say this if you've ever said it. Hey, listen, it's, it's concrete. It's etched in stone. Unless I die or my wife is in the hospital or my kids need me, I am going to be there. You've got my undivided attention. Why don't we schedule God? Set aside some extended time just to love God and to spend some time before him. Number four, tell somebody how much you love God. That's a great way to love God. Hey, Elijah, I love God. He's awesome, isn't he? He ain't got good. I just love him. It's amazing. Can't believe I'm a Christian. Can't believe you grew up in this church. Man, God's been good to me to give me you as a friend. I love God. You know, sometimes it's a great testimony just to tell others that you love God. I'm not suggesting you go around bragging about it, but I I think led by the Spirit, it's a good thing to tell people you love God. Number five, do a secret act of service. Love somebody else. Find a need and meet that need and then keep it secret. Bless somebody and don't worry about anybody else finding out. Maybe it's slipping someone a $20 bill, a college student. Can I get an amen from a college student? Amen. Amen. Just the 20s. Hey, you know, I had a little extra money. I, I know you're in college. Hey, t- t- go, go eat somewhere. Go, go to Kapachi's and, or whatever. Just, this is for you. Somebody blessed me yesterday. I spent some time with their kid and they handed me $40 yesterday. I was like, wait, you know, this is, this is no, no. I'm doing this because God told me to. And then you know what God told me to do? Give it away. I gave it away after He gave it to me. I told Him I probably would. It's just fun giving stuff away and blessing others. It's a way you can love God by loving others. Next, ask somebody if they love God. My dad, I grew up in a home where my Italian father asked me this question every day. Here's my dad, and Zoe, and, and, and so I don't know if he's ever done this a Chloe to you. I bet he has if you think about it. Maybe not as much as he did it to his son. But I grew up with my dad saying, hey Eric, you love God? You love Jesus? How much you love Jesus, son? Tell me how much you love Jesus. Right now, if I call my dad before the end of the conversation, he'd probably say, you love Jesus, right, boy? How much you love him? And that's how I would say it, too. When you meet my dad, he's Italian, through and through. And he just would ask me growing up all the time, hey, son, you love Jesus? Do you love him? Ask somebody if they love Jesus. Number seven, memorize a verse of Scripture about loving God. Maybe you can memorize the verse we've been working on. Mark chapter number 12, verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Love him. I just messed up the order because that's the hard part about memorizing this verse is the order, right? But memorize it. And sometimes when you memorize a verse, it's, it's interesting. You can love God by just sometimes quoting his word. It's just neat. Next, pray and tell God that you love him and ask him to increase your love. In other words, a way that you can love God is to actually pray, God, increase my love for you. I, I don't think, he, look, if we ask for bread, does he give us a stone? Yes or no? No. He gives us, a, he gives us what we ask for. I don't think God's going to say, listen, that's just not one I can answer right now. I've got a lot of stuff on my plate. I, I'm going to pass on that for now. I just don't think God's going to pass on that. I think he'll give you what you ask for. God, increase my love for you. Number nine, take a passage of Scripture and make it personal. I mean, just make it personal. This is one of my favorite ways to to love God. Psalm 23 and verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. God, thank you for being such a good shepherd to me. Thank you for leading me. God, you have been so tender to me. I know sometimes I've been, I've gone astray. I've, I've not followed your commandments. And God, you've always come after me, God. You've been such a good shepherd to me. And Father, thank you, Lord, that you've not always given me what I want, but you've always given me what I need. And I've not wanted for anything, God. I can't believe the the things you've done for me, the house, the the family, the the finances, the things you've blessed me with. God, thank you for being a shepherd that has met my needs. And Father, thank you for those green pastures, verse two, the pastors that I I get to lie down in. Life can be stressful, God, and it's tough and it's hard. But God, you love me so much because you've given me those green pastures, those vacations, those times of relaxation and rest and God, I'm so grateful that, Lord, those still waters have been so real to me. I mean, just talk through the Scriptures. And, you know, sometimes we don't know what to pray. Pray through the Word. Just pray through the Bible. Make it personal. Next, worship Him with your whole heart. Worship Him with your whole heart. I love Psalm 95 and verse 2. I love this. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful—I love that word, (laughs) noise— Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. You know what? Some of us need to just decide when we come to worship, nobody can hear us singing. Nobody's paying attention. Just lift your voice up loud and sing. It got me kicked out of the choir. It did. Years ago, I sang so loud. True story. True story. People that were there can tell you, yes, we noticed the next week the preacher was not in the choir. I got kicked out. They said, preacher, you are singing too loud. Nobody, I said, I can't, I can't help it. They said, well, you probably need to leave. I said, see ya. I've been in the car since. Sing too loud. I'm halfway joking, but it's a true story. But the point I'm making is it, it, it probably would help us to sing with more passion and to make that joyful noise with songs of praise. Now, can I do something in closing? Could I suggest a response? Could I suggest a response? I'm gonna ask the lights just to go down the worship level just as we meditate on this thought. You can look at me, you don't have to bow your head yet. But as the worship team is getting ready, could I suggest something? I, I, wanna, I wanna suggest that we practice right now loving God. I know that not everyone comes to the altar or, or, or feels led, especially every Sunday. Or even ever, maybe you just are more comfortable praying in your seat, which is fine. I love to have altar calls. I think response times are important. But today, before you walk out of the building, I'm going to ask you to love God by walking, praying about walking to the front of the building. And take one of these boxes. And let's practice loving God because when I take this little box and they say it takes 20 bucks to fill it up. You'll learn that in the videos, 20 bucks. And it, I think it's nine bucks you gotta put in the envelope so they can ship it. And then also the $9 covers a beautiful gospel presentation. It's beautiful, it's amazing. It's all color, it's great. We send these all around the world and so I can get one of these boxes and say, God, I love you by loving some child in Cambodia that's gonna get this in a few weeks. I can say, God, I want to love you today by loving others. It's the greatest commandment. And so God, before I leave church today, I'm just going to practice what I preach and I'm going to grab a box or two. I know for some of you, if you had to do this tomorrow, you probably couldn't get the box. The good news is we don't really need to turn these in for like five weeks, four to five weeks. So you got time to trust God for the 20 or $29. For others of you, one would be easy, maybe two or three you could grab. And we may be done after we're finished. I think there's a few out in the atrium. I was just thinking about that when I saw my secretary, Carrie, who's in charge of this project. I saw all these boxes and I thought about how we always have to make these announcements and we have to hope they all get out. And it's, it's tough. It's tough because after a few weeks, it's like, oh, here goes the Christmas box announcement again. I've already got mine. And I'm, I'm that way. That's why I say it. I'm thinking about me. It's like, it's hard to get rid of them all. Maybe not this year. Maybe we can become more like Jesus today. By loving God and loving others. If you don't feel led to come forward, if you're not comfortable, don't worry. You can get one after the service. But if you feel like today this may be a way you can worship God in spirit and in truth. You've learned some things about God. Now let's express some emotion to God and let's love Him in spirit. And if you can and you feel led to take one of these or two of these boxes back to your seat... All you got to do is take it home. We'll we'll give you more instructions next week and the next week and the next week. It's not hard. It's easy. So pray about that. I'm going to pray over us. We'll stand. We'll worship a little while. Respond and be dismissed. Father, I love you. I thank you, God, for this opportunity to pray over this audience, this, this my church family, whom I love. I do. I love. And God, I think I could say I love with all my heart, but then, God, I think, wait a minute. I want to love you with all my heart first because I know God I can only love them as much as I love you God I want to learn to love you more God I want you to teach me teach me how to love you more God I want to, I've received your love I've received it God I know you're my savior I know you died for me on the cross I know I have no hope apart from Christ and now that I've received that love I want to give it I want to be a vessel of your love to this community. And God, through these boxes, I want to be a vessel of love all over the world. God, help us today to respond as you would lead us to. I pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand?